The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of eat sleep list your home for list making right here on the network at bicbp-radio.com my name is matt johnson one of your hosts and today uh, of course every episode i'm joined by my faithful fluffy haired friend mr daniel torres uh more so curly you're more curly than fluffy but um, More curly today. Sometimes it's on the fluffy side. It all depends on the humidity in the air. But <laughs> it, as you know, you know, it's freezing outside right now. So we're keeping pretty tame. It is. I was sad we couldn't get together in the studio today. Uh, I was really looking forward to the opportunity to to, to sit down and talk some history. Um, but uh, fortunately, the world of technology has brought a Zoom. And today we are joined by good friend, uh, long-time listener, but most importantly, a good friend of the show, Mr. Tice. Tice, what's going on, dude? How are you? I'm all right. I wish I could have been in person, but yeah, weather oh. permitting, you know. No, I know. I know. It's uh, It's been unfortunate. Uh, today, the timing of this, we're like, all right, we got Wednesday locked in, nothing going on, and then snow. So uh, that yeah. is it. That's unfortunately how it goes. Tice, I think this is your fourth time on the show now, right? And this is your fourth episode. We did the I think. Yep. Yeah. Extinct. Extinct creatures. Uh, we did. Comic book covers, covers. Halloween. The Halloween movie. Yeah, the horror films, movie. Yeah. And then this one. So yeah. um, very cool. You're quickly rising up the ranks of uh, frequent guests. So uh, we're glad that you want to keep coming back. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course, dude. I'm I'm glad, dude. I was just thinking, I've known you for almost like 10 years now, maybe a little bit more than that. And I'm glad these last couple of years have gotten close and we got to do this as much yeah, as we possibly yeah. can. So, um, so yeah, thanks for being a part of it. I really appreciate it. Definitely. Yeah. And I feel like whenever Tice is on, I feel like we've got like the best, uh list topics to go off of too i feel like we always get into really good like in-depth conversations so i'm really looking forward to talking history for the first time since i've really been on the show yeah dude i i learned some every time i talk to tice which is always nice he's a oh, he's an encyclopedia and uh it was nice i was like okay we want to get you back on and um he's like all right give me some ideas give me some ideas of what what you know, we haven't done yet. So I think I gave you history. I gave you books and I think there might've been one more. Yeah. I can't remember it though. I can't recall, but um, what, what, what made you want to go with this one? I think this is probably one of the best possible choices we could have got. What, what made you think about this one? Well, um, I mean, history has always been kind of a part of my life since um, I've said it before, but Growing up, I did reenacting with my parents, and uh, there was always kind of instead, like instead of like this isn't complaining, but uh, when we would 
take like vacations or something and be to you know historical sites or we you know my my july 4th weekend was always up at fort niagara doing the reenactment for that's about, so cool for most of my childhood so yeah and i mean everybody has their connections to history but you know i you know i've always been interested in my connections to history through my family and whatnot so and the you know connections to this area too so there's a lot of cool stuff here dude yeah i've always been a big fan like uh, i i love history through high school and it's it, it you know well, grade school essentially um and it's expanded so much since i've graduated i've learned so much uh since then i just i i can't stop i mean it doesn't help me with anything in my, in my current life probably not um but it is always just cool to read these stories of these significant people um you know, they came before us and maybe maybe find some inspiration uh, within as well, which is always really cool. Uh, Dan, what about you, buddy? What's your level? I don't think you and I have really talked much history, um, not not like excluding the show. But where do you where do you stand with historic with like history class history as a subject? So um, I've talked extensively on the show about uh, my history as a theater major in college, but something that I only touch on every once in a while is before I was a theater major, I was a history major. Um, I love, spe- uh, specifically, I love uh, U.S. history, but um, I really, really, there's something about learning from the past and seeing what came before us that's so fascinating to me uh, that I really did want to invest in uh, it, all my time into learning the most I possibly could about it. But then uh, while, while I was in college, the market for teachers was terrible. Um, and now it's ironic because I would love to go back for teaching because there's such a big need for it. So if I were to go back, I may dive into doing history full time again, but I absolutely love it. My my two favorite um, my two favorite areas to really concentrate on are on um, the Civil War and World War II, as um, a lot of people do like to really delve into. Um, but I also uh, like learning about, and this is going to sound like a terrible sentence, but um, I'm interested in learning about uh, like before, during, and after with genocides and periods of history. Right. Uh, because... I like seeing how specifically um, the Rwandan genocide, I love seeing how um, countries can recover and learn and uh, reform based on certain policies and certain leaders. So that particular part, like the social justice part of history, um, really, I think, is an area that I've been growing in the past 10 years or so. Very good. Very good. So I'm. It, we, we might have some that lap over. We might, you know, it, we might have some that, uh, that that are unique based on our personal uh, interest in history. So I'm really excited to get this one going. This is our top 10 uh, turning points in world history. So, Tice, you are our guest. Why don't you kick us off with your number 10? Okay, so my number 10 is the publication of On the Origin of Species from November 24th, 1859. Uh, This is Charles Darwin's seminal work on, you know, his theory of natural selection. Uh, I picked it because it's just, it's the unifying idea in biology, and I'm a a student of biology. So uh, prior to Darwin, there were attempts to explain the diversity of life, but 
nothing to the rigor that um and you know the amount of evidence that darwin compiled and even though he compiled all this evidence such as like you know his journey on the beagle to the galapagos collecting specimens um he did work with pigeons like artificial selection through pigeons because that was a thing in like a, a gentleman's pastime in england at the time was you know <laughs> pigeon fancy so he worked with pigeons to study artificial selection he worked with beetles and barnacles and things like that to study their variation uh but even with all this observation and evidence he still admitted that um he didn't have it wasn't a complete theory because um he said things like, you know, there was a lack of transitional forms in the fossil record. He was also very interested in fossils, like he found when he was in the in South America in the Andes, I believe. He found fossils of like giant sloths and uh, what looked like giant capybaras, and that kind of also sparked his interest in like descent with modification. But again, he said there were a lack of transitional fossils, and he didn't know anything about. Um, uh, where the variations in these populations come from or how they're transmitted from generation to generation, but we now have a firm idea of what that is, and it's genes. Um, that wouldn't come until, you know, Gregor Mendel did his experiments with the peas. Um, not too much longer after uh, On the Origin of Species was published, so it's just a big we um i would say it, it it changed our relationship with the natural world in a way agree but it also provided this unifying idea in biology that's unifies every as like every subdivision of biology today like if you're a neurobiologist and somebody's like a developmental biologist you still can talk through the the language of evolutionary biology it's like a manifesto in a sense like the, the the bare basis for that study which is uh which is which is really cool and it gets it yeah it's i mean it still gets referenced to this day um yeah and the other thing was like he wasn't the only one to come up with a theory of natural selection uh around the same time a man by the name of alfred russell wallace uh had done similar uh, gatherings of specimens in like the Amazon and uh, Malaysia, and he co-published a a letter with Darwin on the subject before uh, Darwin published on the Origin of Species. And Darwin took like a while to publish on the Origin of Species. Like he he was kind of like a procrastinator, but like within a year he published a five hundred page book. That's amazing. Um, That's amazing. I love that you made that choice too. I mean, there's so much different, so many different perspectives we can do for, um, you know, for world history. And I'm glad that you went with a, uh, you know, with the science-based one. Uh, oh, there's still more science-based ones on here. Good, too. and I, I would expect nothing less. So, very good, my friend. Very good. Go, solid way to kick this one off. Um, Dan, you're number ten. I feel like I'm just going to dumb everything down based on that because that was so, just such a great description of, oh, this is such a really like amazing event. And I'm like, yeah, but here's the human dumb one I'm about to throw in next <laughs> on this. Um, 
So my number 10, we're going to go back to um, the year 2003. And um, it, it's the creation of MySpace, but the creation of social media in general. Mm -hmm. And I'm putting this at number 10 because it's the most recent like part of history, the most recent major, major development in history. But if you think about it, we've grown up in this era. Um, so all the new things are kind of, we've been able to keep up with everything. But think about how far social media has come in the past 20 years, where at the beginning of everything, you had your MySpace you, uh, where, you know, you had your top eight and fights would start over that. Those were the minimal things. Right. And we've gone all the way from people having, um, you know, MySpaces where their um, personal page and personal profile was put out there to Twitter um, in the last uh, presidential years where some of the biggest political tweets have come in for, uh, have come from social media and big political statements of that way and people making it's make or break some people that those apps have canceled more people these days than it, because you find out things so quickly it's unbelievable and for people to be able to get the information out there so quickly celebrity deaths we know about them in two seconds now if, if the news breaks everybody knows within five minutes yeah uh, you know major events same thing nothing is um, sacred in a lot of senses anymore because social media is such a gift and a curse that everything's always going to be out there now. And it's going to, uh, it's going to be a factor in the next hundreds of years, depending on where uh, social media ends up going from there. Look at the, the Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump election, where the ads on social media were a big focus on what swung it afterwards and th there's just it's unavoidable these days how much social media is ingrained in society there are whole new segments with it now and it's unavoidable and as much as you know it's so toxic and we probably shouldn't have even brought it in to begin with <laughs> it was inevitable and it's such a big part of our life now and will continue to be for um the foreseeable future so that is why the creation of myspace came in as my number 10 that's a good one um and probably a, a little bit of an underrated one uh that you don't hear talked about much but it is it is social media is life uh for everybody every you, pretty much everybody's connected through social media in some way shape it, or form right it's the new common space where we lack physical common spaces um you know when hundreds of years ago when we'd have like you know like the i the, what comes to mind is like boston commons like these gathering places that we could all go to um free of charge you know to meet and talk or just socialize we kind of lack that in our current century just because mm -hmm. of how things have developed and um social media and the internet has become <laughs> the new commons this is a digital commons so i for better or for worse yeah for better or for worse yeah yeah it is uh, it is extremely difficult to get away from i myself have taken a um, a pretty long hiatus, but there's times where I find myself, you know, popping in and seeing what's going on in the world. You know, I'll go check Twitter really quick and I don't log in because, you know, I don't 
I don't want it to, to, to be known that I'm there, but um, yeah. I'll just, I'll, I won't log in. And I'll be like, Oh, what's trending and, uh, and, and whatnot. It's, it's very difficult to avoid. Um, unfortunately it's, it's a uh, source, you know, it, it, it's how I get my news, right. Newspapers are kind of falling oh, yeah. out of fashion yeah. and, uh, and so much. And for a lot of people too, it, it's a way of staying connected with, with, with people that you don't get to see all the time. And that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of a double-edged sword too. Um, but it is, it is important. I mean, there's, there's billions of people around the world that are connected somehow through social media. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, it, it's amazing. I, I kind of hate that I grew up in this era. I really do. But, um, but it, it, nonetheless, it is probably one of the most important things to come from the 21st century. So great choice. Dan. For sure. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. You guys are all nice and you got some nice sophisticated stuff. I'm like Mr. War guy over here. I'm Mr. Yeah, I got a lot of stuff going on, but this is probably one of the nicer ones that I have. All right. Uh, I am going, I, I think I might do this in, in order of years that these events happened. Um, I think I might do it in that instead of like a, a, like a formal, oh, these are my top 10, but uh, mm-hmm. for, to start off, I'm going to go with the uh, Neolithic revolution. All right. Happened oh. <laughs> uh, quite a long time ago. And, uh, you know, obviously it was this, this time where, where people are, you know, they're going from hunting gatherers to settling down in, in, in communities and in, in agriculture, which is a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big, it's a big change in the way people lived, right? The population was expanding and, uh, moving around in, in, in tribes and groups was, was not so, was not so great. It was almost better to get settled down and, uh, and, and build a culture, grow food yourself. And, and it's, it's really cool, uh, to think about how, how I, I, you know, just different areas, right. And different cultures kind of set up different parts of the world, uh, where people settled at and, I don't know. I don't think of the Neolithic revolution too much, but it, it, and, and I always wonder, you know, some of the reasons why I obviously explained that, um, you know, population. It's also, stuff. Um, What's up? It's also on my list, but it's, it's much, it's much higher. Is it? It's okay. New, yeah. I have the Neolithic agricultural revolution. Okay. Same thing, but like, for me, um, I think it's, it's one of the, I mean, I, I'll, we'll get to it later but i think it's one of the most um important events in uh, human history just because of this change in livelihood and change in production uh, but it's a it's change again it's another one of these changes in our relationship with the natural world um from you know when hunter gatherer we're limited to we're limited to our surrounding area um it's more it's i'm not saying this in a derogatory term like way but like it's it's closer it's closer to nature in a way but with the agricultural revolution you see this start in where we're manipulating other organisms which is pretty wild it's pretty wild further to, our to own think ends. About. yeah like domestication that's what it is it's this artificial manipulation of 
like I said, artificial manipulation or other organisms for our own productive ends, like um, corn used to be this tiny, like grass with like the kernels tiny and the cobs are tiny, but um, around 5,000 years ago, we had modern maize corn from uh, Mexico. Um, and it's, it's really interesting where a lot of this stuff we don't really think about. We just grow food. We always assume that we've grown food, but never really assume where it came from or how it started. Like, it's the same thing with, I mean, watermelons are a little more recent in terms of the amount of flesh they produce as opposed to flesh to rind ratio. And the same thing with like bananas. Like if you've ever seen a, what a banana has come from, it's this, it's again, it's another tiny little fruit with big giant seeds in it. And then for a very, a lot of different reasons, we only have one variety of banana now, the Cavendish, and it's got like tiny, like barely noticeable seeds where that's another problem is that we've selected things into not being able to reproduce for themselves. So it's kind of like, um, especially with bananas, certain companies are very like, have a hold on the growth of bananas. All right. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, there's little agricultural stuff like that. I mean, I probably the. I mean, the beginning of the civilized world, I guess, right? Societies. Yeah, uh, I mean, societies. Like religion, uh, a lot of a lot of the foundational of of what we don't really think about today. Um, it, it began in the Neolithic period. Yeah, you had since you have this more. Um, I mean, a hunter gatherer society you have more. Um, equality in terms of everybody taking part in you know there's no like specialized types of labor because everybody's trying to contribute to um the health of whatever society you may be a part of you know hunter-gatherer society you may be a part of just you know to survive but with when you have the surplus produced by agriculture, you have time to specialize in other types of things like woodworking or, you know, more advanced types of woodworking or metalworking, things like that. Yeah, because I think, well, let's see, what age came after this? Was it bronze? The Bronze Age? Bronze Age, yeah. Yeah, so it paved the way for that. Um, yeah, it's it's cool. It's def- it's It's obviously very, very important. Um, again, it'd probably be a lot higher on my list if I was going it, doing it a certain way, but I thought this was a, uh, um, I think this is one you had, you had to mention. I'm glad Tyson, you had it on. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your explanation for it as well. Um, yeah, it's one that's kind of really glossed over like in, in like school history, right? We talk mm-hmm. about it a little bit, but there's no expansion. I think I'd love to find a book about it. Um, there's gotta be a few extensive titles. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, pertaining to it but it is uh it is very very important right a lot of the great societies you know it, it mm-hmm. you know uh empires or, or whatever egypt you got the romans greeks um none of that none of that really in, in where we are at today we don't happen unless the neolithic revolution occurs and people decide to start settling down so that is my number 10 very nice man thank you thank you all right tice you're number nine buddy 
Okay, my number nine is uh, the founding of America, but it's not for um, not for like patriotic reasons or anything. More so, of just the effect uh, the founding of America has had, and in terms of uh, the problems that the country faces today have been here since the beginning of the country itself. Um, yeah, we've always kind of been a divided country in that you had the people that you know the framers of the constitution they were in a way they were the elites of the colonial um of colonial america they held high like they were uh in the south you had the planter class of course and that class was you know supported by slave labor and in the north you had um more merchant based um like crafts people base but they're or lawyers especially is another thing like law was a big thing for um these like uh, early the framers of the constitution but like America was founded because after the French and Indian War, uh, the British Empire said no more expansion westward. We're done. Um, they just wanted to keep this kind of productive uh, 13 colonies as they were, um, whereas colonists wanted to expand westward because um, part of their vision of freedom involved uh property and some of that in england you couldn't really get that anymore because all the land was basically all taken you know, up <laughs> settled taken but in in the americas you have all this you know even though there are people still living on it from their point of view they feel like that there's all this unseated land out west in the frontier to be taken so that was a big reason why america was founded was to expand westward and to further like the the version of freedom that the framers of the constitution had which involved um the expansion of property and it's <laughs> i don't know how to say all this it's just it's it's a hard history to have because um front post french and indian war there was you know we have all these treaties with these um indigenous nations but you know keep after you know the war the revolution is settled uh, there's expansion westward there's things like the whiskey rebellion where there's a popular uprising based on taxes on whiskey and rye and the uh western pennsylvania that gets put down quickly and it's always been kind of a you know by design a country of the few at the expense of the many and the expense of the people who aren't even a part of the country you know in terms yeah. of slaves or indigenous people 
You brought up some really Sorry, good you get points. Heavy. No, dude, it's that's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing mm-hmm. here. So that, no apology. I actually have it as well, and it's coming up soon. But I have it for different reasons. Um, so I think I think it's uh it's kind of neat. Maybe you can guess what it is. But um, but you know, you brought up some good points. You know, through reading these books like that, that I have, I've recently read a uh, George Washington: A Life and James Monroe. Uh, oh, George Washington's really like his. So you've probably read about like his time in the French and Indian War, where yes. he was basically trying to scrape his way up the ranks because he wasn't an English born gentleman. So he was like a colony born uh, person and that could only get him like a militia position. He he messed up a lot, like Fort Necessity. And he, we have to do yeah. He was kind of an overrated general. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Like that's like his his he's really good at putting like pe- the right people in place and and, and, mm-hmm. and getting people to come together. But as far as like being a general, he a couple of little skirmishes here and there, but he took a lot of losses. Um in both they were really those. bolstered by the French during the American Revolution, like with um Lafayette, you know, that was a he was a big the our French support was very big in the success of the American Revolution. Yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. But, but I mean, you're right. Like, like those problems have always been, this country has always been divided. There was talks about cessation within the first, like, yeah, <laughs> it, it, before, yeah. before 1800, you know what I mean? Before 1800 mm-hmm. and, and, and so much more in uh, obviously time since then, which led to the civil war. So, um, mm-hmm. Even like I think immediately with the framing of the Constitution that a lot of some of the some places didn't want to sign off on it. Some of the states didn't want no. to sign off on it. I mean, you basically had the before that you had the Articles of Confederation where everybody's basically their own country. Yes. For lack, you know, lack of a better term, it's disunity and unity and disunity is this is America, which like it was like the ideals behind the revolution were, were pretty much thrown out within those. Um, so, yeah, so very good. I, I, like I said, I definitely have, um, definitely have that, uh, that on my list and uh, probably a couple, couple spots. And, uh, I have a little bit, a little bit slightly different reason. I'm excited to get into it. Um, all right, Dan, you're number nine. Um, so my number nine is something that I always had interest in because of my dad's interest in it when I was a kid. Um, the space races have always fascinated me, right? So in the in 1955, you have your beginnings with um, the U.S. announcing their intention to launch uh, their first satellite, um, Russia getting involved, and then just the race between us and the Soviet Union and China a little bit for who is going to conquer this frontier next. You have um, Sputnik going into um, space. You have um, uh, Leica, was it the the dog, the first dog Leica, going up? Yeah. yeah, yeah, That the first dog that went up in space uh, by Russia. Um, you have us launching the first solar-powered satellite in um, 1958, um, all the way, and it goes on and on and on up until, uh, it, you know, we have Buzz Aldrin and, and landing on the moon. And th- those things for me are uh, really important pieces of history. Why? Because, one, we have such a big understanding now of 
of space and we got it in such a short period of time i feel like another thing that's grown immensely in the past couple of years being able to um put rovers on mars how important is that and who would have thought that was possible 50 years ago to be able to have something that can fully explore a planet and be able to withstand the travel of going through space that much um you even like the satellites that um we use for everyday things we have satellites bordering everything we have now we're at the point it's 2023 and private companies are starting to look into like doing tours to space which is insane we're we're at the point where it's almost it could almost be a commercial thing to like travel up into space for certain people um so i just think that we made some some of the most important discoveries ever throughout this area um just between like learning about the atmosphere and learning about um what really is the reality of going into space and if it's survivable and now we have people like living in space stations for months at a time it's really the fact that we were able to do that is a freaking amazing thing amazing 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 and the fact that so much of it still has to be explored and there's so much to be done still with it is also fascinating to me but the work that we've done um as a planet uh leaning into the exploration of space has really been quite amazing in our lifetime so that's why the space race is made as my number nine that's a great it's a great choice i mean you think if you really think about the 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 science of space exploration is still really really new like it's still mm-hmm. really fresh and mm-hmm. i mean have you seen some of these satellite images of uh or these these pictures of like jupiter and saturn like these are like hd images and it it's amazing it looks like something out of like it's like a video game almost like how, how do they it's it's really really cool um you know that they've do, done this uh and dude I, I remember growing up as a kid and being excited they're like oh this the international space station is flying over western new york at this time uh, on this day and you go look up and you see you could you can almost see it moving across the sky it's like wow that's surreal um space the final frontier right that's the opening opening of star trek yeah. uh it, it it really is it's 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 space is infinite and there's so much more to discover out there. And, um, you know, who knows that it's, it's, it's a great mystery. Right. And it's, it's, it's been really cool to kind of watch it unfold. And we are, we are really close to commercial flights to, I think even Elon is, has, has done right. Some celebrities have had the opportunity to go into space. I'm I'm sure. Yeah. I feel like I've seen it. I feel like Michael Strahan did something. I don't know. I might've seen it on, on Twitter, who knows, but we're like really, really close. Uh, you know, SpaceX, NASA, all that, all that jazz, um, getting, getting closer to pushing the boundaries, uh, of what, what could be. So very good. Excellent choice, buddy. Thank you, sir. All right. My number nine, again, going in order of, um, of, of time periods, I'm going to go with the discovery of the new world. All right. Discovery of the Americas, so to speak. And obviously, I acknowledge they were 
um, around a long time prior, right? We will, duh. They, they were known a long time prior by the various uh, indigenous tribes that, uh, you know, unfortunately we, we know very little about, I, I feel, you know, there's, I never seem to get like too much recorded history um, the, from this time the period. Taino, I, I think is that Taino, Taino, I can't remember the mm-hmm. pronunciation of it. Taino. Taino from is it Puerto Rico too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to find some more. But like, there's just so much. Like, I mean, an operated it just these these different uh, tribes, you know, going to war against each other and this and that. And how do they divide up? Ter- I'm all, I'm I'm intrigued by all that. Um, but Europe, I mean, obviously it was bound to happen, whether it was <laughs> hundreds of years down the line with the advancement of technology or whatever. But, um, man, a, a, the European, right? I think it was technically Vespucci, right? Amerigo Vespucci who, who discovered it. Or is yeah, that how the name of, I think, I mean, that's who, that's what the country is named after right. America. So, I mean, technically him, you know, Columbus gets a lot of credit, love him or hate him um, for, for making his way. And, and the the news spread is about as quickly as it could for back in the day. Not quite social media uh, fast, but the fact that they found a new continent and they were just trying to go to the, uh, uh, it was the, the Indies, route, right? The trade route to India. Yes, yes, for yeah. uh, spices and silk and all that fun stuff. And he ended up way the hell out of the way. <laughs> he, he, he took like, a wrong turn. Though- um, like in the 11th century, you, you had um, like uh, the Viking, I guess, um, exploration of places like uh, it's new. It would be part of Newfoundland right now. Okay, um, that's like Canada, right? That's upper. Yeah, they, they didn't yeah. settle, but it was. You know, um, it's what they, you know, the Vinland sagas. Um, okay. So that's technically the first, like, European, um, Europeans put on the Americas, but they didn't establish, like, a permanent settlement or, and I think that's why Columbus gets his, you know, his due because, um, you know, his exploration led yeah. to, you know, popular settlement of the americas it did i mean within within years right i mean I, just about every major power was trying to settle into into north america spain you know spain hit south america uh you know well Fran- spain was the one who commissioned um, oh yeah that's right that's, yeah that's right they did um and they, they had a big presence in in, in south america in mm-hmm. in florida's um the french the dutch the english i uh, i think Russia, more so on the Western side, I think, yeah, I know they had some deal Oregon and all that um, eventually, but it started this, I would say near 300 year period of colonialism and in a sense, imperialism. Uh, you can still the say Americas. the colonialism. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're good. I, you could still say, um, I mean, the colonial project is still going on today. Um, as long as it, because as long as there's this, even though we're very much an established settler population, um, the settler colonial project is to import or, you know, birth your 
population to displace the indigenous one. Right. Um, yeah. At least and, I mean, yeah. so much in this, more so in this hemisphere. Um, but you yeah, are right. Yeah. You are right, though. It, it, it technically has not. I'm sorry. Away. I'm being a real bummer. With Dude, you're OK. You, it's OK. I don't I do not mind this because, um, I mean, it, it's it's tough. We, we know what happened to, uh, you know, when, when everybody started coming over here. Right. We know the unfortunate yeah. side of of all that. Um, it sucks. It's, it sucks to read. Uh, you know, it sucks to hear about it's, it's, it's never pleasant. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing, but there's no buts about it. Um, you know, it, it gave people a, an opportunity for a new life. Like I, I like to think yeah. it, it's really cool how, you know, here we are and, and as contentious as it gets sometimes America still holds those values um of you know for a lot of the reasons why people came over here right religious freedom um which was a major one right people i think it was uh the protestants pretty much got booted out of england right that was a big big deal for a lot of them coming over uh mm-hmm. among several several other beliefs uh and just just uh, just a just a whole new opportunity um you know obviously colonial for for new materials uh uh, amongst other things, just everybody loved territory uh, back then. But, um, but yeah, it, it's it's finding America and 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 lending it to what it became. You know, it's just it's crazy how it just it, it just narrowed down, right? It, everybody started dropping. Every country started dropping off until until there was one. There was England, and then it it you know everything kind of happens from there. They uh, it's actually it was kind of like wild. I, I don't. Did they just show up like and just take right? They just showed up and took like New York from the from the Dutch, and that was pretty much their beginning, right? Was it was that or they no? They had some other colonies too, before, prior. But I, I honestly, I can't recall. Okay, because mm-hmm. I read in a book that it was they. I mean, it was it used to be New York used to be New Amsterdam, and then New Amsterdam, yeah. Then the British just showed up, obviously being like the biggest naval power, and they just. The Dutch just surrendered. Well, they had like the Virginia colonies. Too, That's right. So. They were a little bit more so yeah. in the south. I think the Dutch and the French kind of had and, northern parts yeah. of it. And uh, England's like, no, we're here. And yeah, they lost Roanoke colony. Yes, yes, Roanoke. Um, so, yeah, so discovery of the new world for, for I mean, for so many reasons. Uh, you know, there's really the interesting thing about this is there's not really aside from indigenous tribes there's not really many naturally there's there's very few very seldom naturally born people uh that that you know that live here it really is the great melting pot i wish uh everybody you know realized that and honored it that we're you know there's you know we're (laughs) we're all just about as american as the other person and chill the hell out all right, great melting pot. Let's uh, let's keep it that way. So, um, discovery yep. the new world is my number nine. That's a great one. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Tice, your number eight. So my number eight is the scientific revolution. Um, this lasted from fifteen forty three to sixteen eighty seven, and this is the time in Europe when you see the explosion of. Um, people start coming up with uh, explanations for natural phenomenon based on the scientific method. 
uh, which seems it. I mean, people have been conducting things, something like science, you know, experiments where you're drawing conclusions based on observations and evidence, but in the like a it was really solidified in like a standardized form, I guess you could say, during this period of time. Um, this is when you have like Copernicus uh, proposing his heliocentric model of the universe and Galileo would be the one to really try and popularize that idea and that would get him in trouble with the Catholic Church. Um, yeah, I was going to say this is kind of the first time that the Catholic Church had a little bit of a uh, little bit of a. Right? They were so prominent in, in Europe, European culture that this is the first time there was a little bit. of There's some cracks shown, right? There was one. There's an event before that that's also <laughs> that goes into uh, further crack or the kind of the beginning cracks in the um, institution of the Catholic Church, but. Um, this is also a time of like Isaac Newton establishing his theories of, you know, like his, um, the Newton's laws of physics, which are fundamental to understanding physics in any way. Uh, and this is where Francis Bacon was, he was the kind of the first one to like establish in writing in Europe, I would say, I, I guess you could say, uh, the scientific method that we all were taught in it wherever wherever you learn science you're going to learn about the scientific method um so you know things like establishing a, like making observations establishing a hypothesis testing the hypothesis you know things like that yeah i mean it, it i i really do admire like that time it just it, i felt like it was a more of a a, a free thinking period or people opened a uh, open to open to free thinking, right? And not so much being told again. That's why I love the gal, the Galileo, and uh, it, you know deals so I mean, much. I remember still... that story like religiously. That it, he was, yeah, he was literally like jailed, right, it, for for saying that because everybody he thought was... that the, everything revolved around the Earth. Yeah, I think he was. Was he put to death for it? No, um, he had to recount. No, he was definitely jailed, said. though. Okay. Yeah, he had, he had to recount his heliocentric model of the universe, um, and then I think in the '90s he was pardoned, like he was excommunicated. But then, like you know, hundreds of years later. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Church, yeah. yeah. How nice. <laughs> How nice of them. I love that. It's always nice uh, when they do stuff posthumously. Um, Oh God, yeah. I mean, but it was. Uh, it, it, this is kind of coming off of right, it, almost the Dark Ages in a sense. Uh, Maybe like a yeah, couple the, hundred years off. I mean, the Black Death was around. I want to say the thirteen hundreds, and then after that, you start to have the beginnings of the Renaissance. So this is flowing out of the you know the Renaissance period. Is uh, I mean a pretty significant turnaround, so I, I would yeah. say so. So very good, very good. Love that choice. Um, it was number eight, right? Number yes. eight. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number eight. All right. Very good, Dan. You're number eight, buddy. Going basic with this one, but I do think uh, that human uh, 
human development and human interaction would not be the same without um, this event. And I'm going to uh, put the discovery or creation of fire as my number eight. Um, and th there's there's not much I can really say to defend this, right? We It's such a pivotal thing in our history. Um, there's talk about how um, cooked meat helped possibly develop um, our cortex. Uh, the, uh, the use of fire in order to uh, provide heat and to um, cook and to uh, really step up everything as far as shelter goes. The, when fire was created, the technological advancements started to begin and revolve around that. Even the combustion aspect, the combustion with, uh, you know, starting cars or, or, or different things like that. Mm -hmm. All that can be traced to us discovering fire for the first time, really picking it apart and being like, what can we do to keep creating this and how can we utilize this to our advantage? And it really was the first impotence for humans to develop um, and be as smart as we really, really are. That was one of our biggest advancements and the biggest uh, advantages we had to other species was being able to have that and utilize that. Right. Um, there isn't a ton to say about this, really, because we all know how important that was for the development of human beings. Uh, but I just I needed to include it on the list and say it out loud because we would be so we wouldn't have gotten anywhere without this. So the discovery or creation of fire is my number eight on our list. That is a great choice. Uh, yeah, I was looking into this. They keep thinking they keep finding like earlier traces too. like they feel like Matt, uh, fire was discovered sooner than they previously thought. I'm I'm looking back like more than six, I think six thousand years or something there maybe even further than that at this mm -hmm. point I, I was looking it up i was considering putting it on here um for this list but uh but yeah i mean i think it played a huge part in the neolithic era right you know let's just uh, we could stay war we could sit we could settle here um in, in these respective spots so uh you are right it is it is an incredible discovery so very very good. Very good, Dan. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So going in order of what I have here, uh, I am going to, this is where I'm putting the American Revolution and a lot of the reasons for what Tice said, but also for kicking off the age of revolution. All right. Uh, nobody likes to be told what to do whether it be one country telling another country what to do, one one person telling another person what to do. Nobody nobody likes to do it. Um, the American Revolution was a, uh, a master class because they handled it relatively well, relatively well. It wasn't perfect, but to, I mean, first and foremost, to, to fight off against a larger power being England was incredible. Uh, for what they did, right? It, it, nobody thought they had a chance. Obviously, the French played a big part in that. Um, but also not going into a monarchy, which was the probably the premier, that was like the number one method of, of government at that point, I would say. Uh, pretty much everybody who, every country who, who you know, sent, either had colonies, 
in uh, in the New Americas, they they were monarchies. So they dabbled in democracy, which I think I, I'm not 100 percent certain, but I believe there's origins from it that go back to Rome, Roman times. If I'm not mistaken, they took some elements of that um, and kind of created their their own form of government. And people were like, wow, this is cool, right? We got a constitution. Uh, we have a bill of rights. We have ways of balancing power. So it's not just one person uh, with everything. And not too long after that, France went into revolution, right? Let's we're, we're killing Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette. Goodbye. Uh, that one didn't turn out so well. They tried to divvy it up a little bit, but uh, Napoleon kind of, or oh, first uh, Maximilian uh, Robespierre. I, I can't pronounce his name great with the Reign of Terror. Um, then Napoleon kind of fallen in with that. Um, they dabbled in democracy here or there, um, as well as a lot. I mean, obviously the South American revolution, right? Uh, Central America fighting off against fighting Spain, really inspiring a lot. And there's been obviously plenty of revolutions since. Uh, And it was always cool, too, because, you know, America being kind of the face of of this age of revolution, at least the the, the Kickstarter, um, they protected it. They kind of like, especially in their own hemisphere, I I have a big fan. Like James Monroe was one of my probably like a top five president for me um, based on some of the stuff I've read and his Monroe doctrine kind of protect that. Like, okay, you know, you, you can't come over here and, and, and keep doing the colonialism deal. Um, and we support, and we recognize these, these places that are fighting, you know, fighting back and, and trying to emancipate themselves. You know, you get uh, the Haiti revolution was a big one Toussaint Le Overture, um, mm-hmm. definitely said his name wrong. Not really good with pronunciations, but you know, that was a massive one. That was a slave rebellion. And, and yeah, yeah. And, and which was I mean, to, 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 to defeat the French, like that's pretty good. Um, so we, the American revolution for, for that, for this, this different way of, of thinking, different way of life, different way of government. Uh, and, and at the time was a breath of fresh air for, uh, you know, it, it, compared to, uh, the monarchy system. So uh, American Revolution is my number eight. Very nice. Thank you. Very nice. I love that. Thank you. All right. Number seven, Tice. So my number seven is, it's a period of time known as the Islamic Golden Age. It's from around the 8th century to 13th century. Um, it's centered mostly in Baghdad. Uh, there's a reason... Why I picked this is because during the same time, um, Europe was experiencing its dark age. Um, not a lot of advancement in knowledge in any kind of area or any kind of technological advancements, but in the Arabic world, they were flourishing. Um, there was even though there's like this explosion in original research in the Arabic world with like medicine, biology, physics, uh, mathematics was a big one. Like the, the numerals we use today are Arabic numerals. Um, and it comes from this, this age. Um, but one of the big things they were known for was translating these thought to be lost works from uh, the these old civilizations, like they translated works from Greek, um, Chinese, 
Greek, Chinese, Indian, and Persian works and Roman works, Egyptian works into Arabic, kind of like saving knowledge that was thought to have been lost to time. Um, and they, like, if you think about the state of Europe at the time, um, if the whole world was in the state Europe was in, um, some of this knowledge would have been lost to time. Like, um, they expanded, like, again, like I said, with the mathematics, they expanded on things like, um, it's probably why we still have all of these, like the Pythagorean theorem that is originated in Greece, but it's probably saved and utilized more by these scholars in uh, Arabia at the time. So, and they're really advanced in biomedicine too, like surgeries and like understanding of the human body, understanding optics of the eye. Like it's crazy how advanced things were. And they were, this age was, it's disputed when it was brought to the end, but um, the Mongols came in in 1258 and sacked Baghdad. And that's typically when it's said to have ended, but just the amount of information and knowledge that came out of this time is astounding. Those damn Mongolians every time, yeah. every time. <laughs> no, it is cool. Cause, I mean, you see a lot of, uh, even today, like it, 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 at least living here, right? You see a lot of um, uh, some of these these unique medical, uh, you know, perspectives and and people are like, oh, no, let's just let's just take medicine and like the, the, let's just pop pills and make everything go away uh we're, we're we're you know a lot of original um in in kind of uh trailblazer medical techniques that would you know still in use today to an extent um you know came from that era so yeah the knowledge definitely came from them or you know they're one of the sources of this this knowledge that we still have yeah um I, I like again i trying to make it it it's really it's it's something that needs to be emphasized but like their translations of all of these different works like a lot of these things still like i can think of like the dialogues of plato or the odyssey um works of literature <laughs> or philosophy or theology it might have been lost to time because um if this said this age had never happened, yeah, so. no, that's that's important. Preserving history is yeah, it's uh, unfortunately a lot of stuff is uh, you you hear is lost, right? And and part of the reason why they're so ex extensive in preserving the history is because it spread. There, like the the caliphate had spread from like the southern Iberian Peninsula to further into Asia. So it's like this big area where you're bringing all these scholars in to translate works and to learn different things. It's just pretty cool. So, yeah, I wish more people would uh, acknowledge that stuff instead of going for the knee jerk uh, media created idea that Islam bad America, you know, I just, just, I, I, yeah. I hate that I grew up with that. I really do. When mm -hmm. it's, it, it's, it's far from the truth. It's, it's very far from the truth. Every, everywhere has, you know, everything has these extreme, but, but you're, you know, is 
they pushed, they, they preserve history and they, they, they kept a lot of things and, uh, you know, maintain a lot of stuff. So we could have it to this day. Um, so I, I admire it. So very good. Very good. That's what I, I really didn't have on my radar. So I'm going to have to, I would, I'd like to learn more about that. So this is called the Islamic golden age. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty I'm I'm really glad you included this one, Tice, because I love this period of history and I didn't include it on my list because I didn't know how to properly explain it to people and how to really explain the importance. And you did that really, really well in your description. Of <laughs> thank it. You, so so I thank you for it. doing that, because it, it's it. it really is. It's important to understand how much we wouldn't have if not for that era they kept so much history alive during that period of time it's unbelievable yeah and like i said the the science and the mathematics we still use today especially the math it's just even if you're a big fan of math like it's the fundamentals of algebra and you know again the the numerals on your keyboard are arabic numerals for a reason right arabic was the um, language of science for a long period of time. Very good. I just learned something new, and this is why this is why we like to have you on there, Tice. Very good. Thanks. All right, Dan, you're number seven. So this one's been touched on a little bit, but um, I have it. I have the event listed a little bit differently. Um, I have the signing of the Decla- Declaration of Independence as my number seven. Um, we talked about the American revolution. We talked about um, like the discovering of Americas and things. And during that era, the most important event for me that sums it all up is that signing is the, because if you think about how the colony started originally, it was, you know, the Protestant revolution. So Protestants are, uh, are coming over here. You have, uh, them landing in Plymouth Rock, you have all the different discoveries of the colony, you have us going through the French and Indian War, you have the taxes, you have the Boston Tea Party, you have all of that. And then you have the Declaration of Independence, which was the final way of everybody making the clean break away from the countries that they came from originally. And they wanted to do that from the beginning. This was their, we're going to live in uh, our our own society where we don't have as much to be controlled over. People came over for their own reasons, but it was never supposed to be something that was controlled by somebody. It really wasn't. And that uh, that document separating us from England is so important for everything that came afterwards we were finally even though we were in america at that moment we really were that was the turning point where we were like yep we're gonna do this no matter if we succeed or fail we are calling ourselves this country and we are going to go through to the end and look what it's turned into as much as uh we have our complaints about society politics blah 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 blah. it is a wonderful country to be in we hit the genetic lottery being in uh in america we really did we hit the universal lottery being able to do that and have all this opportunity just at our fingertips and the declaration of independence just led to everything else in america's history and it led us to being even being able to sit 
on the Zoom meeting right now being able to do something like this. So um, the Declaration of Independence made my number seven. And that piece of shit Nicholas Cage tried to steal it, too. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he kidnapped the president. And he kidnapped the president. Dude, I haven't been to Washington, D.C. Yeah, he is directed. That's right. That movie's coming out soon. Uh, I haven't been to Washington, D.C. since I was in second grade. And I had an opportunity a couple years ago to to take it. And I regret it for a multitude of reasons. I really want to go see it It just just for the history. I I love history way more now than I did when I was eight years old. And I, I know I would appreciate it a lot more now. So. Hopefully I get that opportunity. Um, you know, I, I, I remember certain things uh, in like like little video clips, like in my own brain. But I just I ah so much, so much I want to go see. So you should. It's a it's a it's a decent enough drive. Like it's an easy enough drive where you can make it down for a weekend or something. Yeah, like that. I was considering going. You can I go to, to Williamsburg, right? Yeah, that's like a two hour drive outside of DC, maybe. I, I wanted to find my way down to Virginia and stop by, like, uh, you know, you got the, the good old Virginia dynasty, Mount Pelier, Mount Vernon, Monticello. Um, I think I think James Monroe's, yeah, Hollywood Cemetery where James Monroe's buried. Um, and then kind of worked my way back. I was thinking, of, I was I was considering it. Um, I don't know if it's in the cards, but uh, it's something I really, really would like to do sooner rather than later so uh we'll see how that goes but it's uh that's that's the spot right there but excellent excellent choice there dan um couldn't have said it better myself honestly the way you, you described it thank you all right my number seven so again i'm going in uh i'm going in year order and obviously my stuff is a lot more uh it's a lot more war based. You guys, there's a, a lot of thought processes and stuff, but, but I, 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 I don't know. I, I hate war, but I love reading about it, which is really weird. Um, if that makes sense, kind of like Dan's thing on the, the genocide, right? The before, during, after, and how mm-hmm. places can become better. Um, one of my favorite historical people, um, is Napoleon. All right. Um, I've read his bi- uh, a couple biography. Yeah, right. Uh, biographies on him. I read Napoleon: A Life. I read it twice. That's how much I love the book. And I, I just read a book called The Napoleonic Wars uh, this year, which actually was really well written. And it, it, it did a whole bunch of French stuff, and then it had chapters based at like per what country and how they were affected by the Napoleonic Wars. And it did a nice little timeline um, of it, but. Uh, obviously, we know how massive his empire was. He had the Continental System, the Napoleonic Code, and uh, amongst other things. And my turning point here is his invasion of Russia, uh, which was the beginning of the end. He got overzealous, right? He, he uh, Jesus, uh, who? I'm trying to think of the. Uh, I can't remember who the Russian. Is it Peter? No, it Peter. No, No. Uh, was it Edward? No. (laughs) This is a blind spot for me. I should know this. um, Of, I should know this. Uh, Let's see, Russian Alexander. My fault, Alexander the first. I think his uh, great. She was. He was the grandson of Catherine the Great. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, but he wasn't following the continental system. It wasn't a great system, anyways. Uh, I get what Napoleon was trying to do, but um, but he's like, all right, we're going, and uh, <laughs> and he went, and it just was not good. The initial approach was not bad, right? And he's like, oh, we're winning battles, we're winning battles, we're winning battles, and uh, but those supply lines got really, really thin, and they. <laughs> The Russians, they did this, it was, uh, uh, what was the phrase for it? It wasn't scorched earth, but, or what, maybe it was, maybe that was the phrase, but they would basically burn houses, crops, so that the, yeah, the French couldn't seize policy. Yeah, Scorched earth policy, yeah. yes. Um, so they couldn't seize any any supplies and, and keep their army fed, keep, um, you know, couldn't find more munitions, any of that stuff, horses, soldiers. Uh, stuff we're just dying uh by by the minute it disease it and everything um and they captured Ma- moscow but they didn't really like capture moscow uh it was just kind of one of those yeah we were letting you have moscow and they stayed there and probably a bit too long they started to retreat in the winter and the russians pretty much uh, they didn't really have to beat them on the way out but they just they hammered them if they really wanted to they could have ended napoleon right there if they wanted to pursue, but they lost a lot of people. Um, it was a, it, at first it was a really bad look for, for Alexander and the Russians because they lost a lot of lives in, in the initial skirmishes, but patience and on the way back and he could have ended Napoleon and uh, in, in France right there. But after that, they never really recover, right, you know, recovered. That was the, the grand army, which was Napoleon's like pride and joy. I think it was a, uh, a force of uh, just six figures, but he would take enlistments from from various places. Prussia, I think, uh, gave you know gave soldiers amongst of other variety of other spots, and this was it. And Napoleon didn't really win too many battles after that. A couple quick skirmishes here and there, but uh, within. I think two years he was at, he had his first exile. He comes back for the hundred days and uh, he loses at Waterloo. And then he, that's it. That's it for Napoleon. So if Napoleon succeeds in Russia, who, who knows, who knows it, it how, yeah. how, how can you stop the juggernaut? But, um, but Russia put a stop to it and, uh, and his empire, pretty much collapsed right after that and they were all ready to turn on him so um so that's what i got there uh for my number seven is the uh, napoleon failed invasion of russia very good i need to get myself a little bit more educated on that era of history because that's it's always been fascinating to me but i don't know enough about it that's my time period like that's where i like to specialize in pretty much the colonial era to probably i'm starting to open it up a little bit but probably like to like the 1830s like i would say the 1600s 1830s it's kind of like my bread and butter just man military strategy uh technology all that stuff is i'm fascinated by it so and a lot of a lot of great like leaders uh back then too so um it's not bad it's it's uh it's certainly not bad i think i got a couple books at the studio um that explain uh, or go into good, nice detail about it all. It's like a big Atlas book that I bought years ago from Barnes and Noble. And it, it 
it does a really good job of explaining everything. So I think you'd enjoy it, Dan. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. All right. We're moving on to our number six. Tice, you're up. So my number six is the year 1918. And I chose this specifically because there are two big events that happened in this year. Uh, First, the end of the First World War. Uh, Second is the Spanish flu. So within the same year, you have at the end of World War One, you have about 20 million dead. And in with the Spanish flu, it infected a third of the human population. And the death toll is estimated to be around 17 to 50 million people. So it's one of the worst pandemics we've ever seen. And the worst war we have ever seen up until that point yeah um with the first world war the thing that made it so gruesome i guess you could say is because it's probably the first industrial war um you have this mass output of munitions and experiment like tanks and planes this is the first time we're using them in war yeah um, the life expectancy for a pilot was not long at all um tanks were death traps uh trench warfare is brutal it's like playing football you're basically gaining inches and yards just moving from trench to trench to co- try and you're literally trying to cover more ground than the other army and it's just so it's brutal like plus you I mean, have this point yeah sorry go ahead chemical sorry. weapons yeah as i was well. about to say you that like yeah. deployment of mustard gas and white phosphorus which is just that's a war crime it's all war crimes but uh yeah you see the end of this horrible war empires are left you know they're they have collapsed like the austro-hungarian the ottoman empire and the german empire all collapse but the very something i find very fascinating about the fall of the german empire is that after the austro-hungarian empire and the ottoman empire signed an armistice with the allies uh the german empire was still trying to go um fight the allies um but on november 3rd of 1918 uh german sailors in kiel germany they mutinied uh they were sick of the war um the so world war one was basically just this big spat of um i don't know if you guys know this but um kaiser wilhelm uh czar nicholas and Who's the English? Is it Prince Albert? I think they're so. all related. Mm. Yeah, they're all like big... brothers or so. Brothers or cousins. Cousins. They were cousins. Like it's this big family, familial empire, imperial, nationalistic spat, and the people are not like we're fighting this war for you. We this is the worst war of this world, this country that or you know this continent has ever seen. Um, so soldiers and sailors mutinied. And they had like this growing civil unrest, this kind of popular resistance to the war in Germany that people started organizing themselves in councils. And by November 9th, uh, Kaiser Wilhelm 
Kaiser Wilhelm abdicates his throne and exiles himself to ne the Netherlands, and then um, Germany is declared a republic. Right. This is the start of the Weimar Republic. Um, but within a few months, you'd have more problems. It extends into 1919. Um, there was a, a like a mini civil war between uh the more i guess you could say leftist faction of the um of this new republic and the reactionary uh factions of the republic and it was ultimately settled by Friedrich Ebert the I can't remember what he was a part of the Social Democratic Party. Uh, he killed the two leaders of the Spartacus group. And that's the kind of the start of the Weimar Republic in Germany. And it's also kind of laying the foundations for fascism in Germany because uh, when Friedrich Ebert did this, he employed the use of these paramilitary groups called the Free Corps. And they're basically the origins of brown shirts. Um, it's everything that happens within the next 20 years can be taken, you know, it can be, you can follow it back to the year 1918, because this is like, it's setting all of these conditions for the rise of fascism in Europe. And this you know the explosion that leads to world war ii yeah like you get you get this fairly progressive period of the weimar republic for a short while but things you know europe is still in shambles and things start to collapse and during times of collapse that's when you have these opportunistic um and um reactionary forces that come into play and try and you know take the power. peace right and people just like they want some they want some uh so uh, just what's the phrase for it just something solid i guess is the kind of slang for it but just something um that okay okay they, they got this and then they settled for it napoleon did it hitler did it uh many others have uh have certainly done it so 1918 was a big year a uh, man a lot of stuff uh <laughs> It was a rough year, and it, Germany got blasted. You know, the Treaty of Versailles was very, very harsh at Germany, even though they didn't initiate the war. So, yeah, all that, and uh, yeah, twenty years later, Deesh. excellent. I, uh, I, I might have a I might maybe have a little bit of a preamble to that um, for my number six. Okay. We'll wait, Dan is up first or up up before me. Dan, what is your number six? My number six, I could have went with a lot of different things, but um, I decided for my number six to go with the fall of the Roman Empire. Um, I think that if we're talking about really, really major historical turning points, we have to include that in there because it was the first major empire that spanned um, over countries and countries and continents um and lasted multiple generations too there was it's crazy to think now that at one point um the the roman empire pretty much was everything in europe 
there was such a huge spread of everything that they were just contained within that. And then when they fell, not only did it destroy the Roman Empire, it destroyed all of Europe. It was such a big collapse that they literally went into the Dark Ages because of it. Because there was the yeah, huge void, loss of wealth, loss of government, loss of like a lot of different religious sects and points of power that that were everywhere and nobody could decide like who really had the right powers. But it um not only did all that happen at the time, a lot of what occurred within the the Roman Empire and the fall of it carved out Europe as we know it today. It kind of divided it into the sections and to some into some of the countries that um, we see now. And but when you think of the enormity of that era, where it was, it was an early United States, really, where one person is just going across and primitively without the technologies we have in a lot of senses, just conquering all these all these territories. And then the impact that it left when it was gone changed the entire world. So um, the fall of the Roman Empire goes at my number six for that reason. That is a great choice. Yeah, I, I contemplated yeah. doing that one. I, you know, I, I always feel like, I mean, with world history and stuff, we touch on the Romans. and I think everybody knows about the Romans, but I I don't know. And I, I realized while making this list, I don't know enough about, like, that history and the fall of it. I mean, I knew that they were getting invaded frequently. The Mongols, I think, pushed a bunch, a lot of the Germans into there, into yes. Rome, and, and it just made this chaotic situation. Their borders were um, not very secure. It was a mess of stuff, but I just, like, I want to know more. Like, I, I, I really don't know enough of it. Um, it's, yeah, the- it, it's romanticized. I mean, I, I think it, like that, that time period, it, it's like, that's like peak society, like not like peak society, but those early, early years, right? Currency, um, it, it, currency was a big thing back then. They, and, and uh, their, you know, their religions and a lot of their institutions that that we still hold dear to this day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, the fall of Rome. That's where we get the whole this idea of the of western civilization and eastern civilization these words that people throw around all the time like the the split of rome into the western roman empire and the eastern roman empire in um byzantium or um istanbul today you know that's where all this comes from so like like dan was saying these these splits are still present today Mm -hmm. of these how we conceive of parts of the world yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. so very good dan very good uh so my number six i went with uh as far as turning point this is a because i used to think about this all the time i was like i do all this world history stuff i hear about germanic tribes and all this stuff but where's germany and everything so I went with the unification of Germany uh, for my number six uh, through blood and iron, as uh, Otto von Bismarck, Otto von Bismarck. once said. Uh, Prussia was the face of Germany <laughs> at one point. 
And unification have been talking about for a long time. Of course, every people had their uh, other countries had their hands on the pot, and uh, and Prussia went on this 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 stretch. I think it was the 1870s. I think it was early 1870s, uh, where he's just going to war. He's going to battle with with uh, Napoleon the Third and cleaning house, and he eventually unites uh, Germany into to, to one spot. Now, it's, I mean, that's obviously a big deal as it is, right? Because we have a new European power. Prussia was pretty big on the world stage. Mm-hmm. But man, a united German peoples uh, is is something to be reckoned with. And, you know, that united German peoples, uh, you know, it, it got a little out of control very early on. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Um, you know, obviously, again, we mentioned that they didn't start World War One, but they were obviously a big part of it. And obviously in, in World War Two, uh, they essentially lost like they can you imagine living through all that? You you live to see Prussia unite Germany and within 70 years, it's split apart once again, uh, obviously with uh, the Berlin Wall and stuff. Uh, Even before it, that, you had the. Uh... The Holy Roman Empire, which right. covered a lot of what Germany uh, occupies, and uh, like before the unification of Germany, uh, there was no, you know, identification of I'm a German. There was a I'm a Bavarian or I'm a Berliner or I'm a Saxon kind of thing. Yeah. Um, with the unification of Germany, that's it's kind of the birth of their the nationalism. Yeah. 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 And that's so getting into World War II kind of stuff. Uh, this is the Second Reich. Technically, you know how Hitler would say he's, he's the third. He's yeah. Third. The Holy Roman Empire is the first uh, unified Germany's under Vil- Kaiser Wilhelm's the second. And then, yeah. It's this, that's, you know, that's how fascism works, is that it calls back to this, it tries to calls back to these glory days that never were, and tries to recapture this mythologized past, but it just destroys people. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting story. I was also, I mean, amazed too when I discovered that there was a third Napoleon. Uh <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, damn, that late in the that 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 late in, in world history, and uh, that's something I watched a couple little documentaries of it. this one one YouTube channel. I can't remember the name of it. They did a really good job. It was like a six hour presentation. I listened to it one day at work. They were showing all the military, the artillery, and and, and, and like units. It was really really well done. But um, unification of Germany because it kind of set things in motion for the beginning of the century, uh, upcoming century. And, and, uh, you know, Germany was a force to be reckoned with, uh, unfortunately, uh, and, you know, and, until, uh, 1945 when everything fell apart. So that is my number six and we are on to our top five. Tice, kick us off with your number five. Uh, my number five is the black death. Uh, this lasted from 1346 to 1353. Uh, this covered mo- like Eurasia, so like Europe, the Middle East, and parts of North Africa. It's estimated around seventy-five to two hundred million people dead. I know that's a big gap, but there's all with any of these kinds of 
um, pandemics in the past, it's hard to get hard numbers on these things, but it's the deadliest pandemic in human history. Um, and this, you know, the bacterium that causes this is still around, but it's not, it's, you know, it's not as deadly, of course, because we have antibiotics and stuff, but um, the population in Europe dropped from, it's estimated that there was a population before the plague of 80 million to 20 million. Uh, and this obviously caused a lot of social and economic upheaval. Um, this is one of like the death, it rang one of the death tolls of feudalism in Europe because um, with this mass death, you have labor shortages and it ironically it gives a lot more power to peasantry um yeah so, in a weird in a weird way it certainly does yeah like there's they have more bargaining power for their labor power um and like with the feudal system if you're a peasant or a serf you were tied to land um and um you know people started dying um like land started opening up businesses started opening up um it it like really decreased the the gap in the social strata between the landholders and the peasantry that were tied to the land like it kind of started to cut that tie to the land that feudalism is known for yeah it's almost like a reset in a way and uh yeah, I guess I guess it would be called a sort of a reset. Um, like the yeah, like the economic order of feudalism is basically on its way out during this time, but the social like hierarchy of feudalism lasts for a little longer. And there's another event on my list that kind of does away with it completely. So I see. All right. Very. Yeah. I remember learning about the Black Plague. Uh, I think there was like three really like reasonable. So obviously the first one was the. I think there was a one in like the late 1600s, early 1700s, something like that. But it was it was a lot. It was it was a lot smaller. It was a little bit more confined. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do. That was one of the, the, the first like I do remember learning about that in middle school, uh, early middle school. And uh, it was it was it was intriguing. It was really scary. Um, I think I've watched, I've watched a, quite a few like movies that have dealt with that time period and, and just to get a visualization of the bubonic plague because it's that. Yeah. The bubos are, yeah. (laughs) Gross. It was gross. It was uh, like, if you, if you survive that, like the bubonic version of the plague, you were left disfigured basically from the, the bubos. But if it was airborne, you're basically the mortality rate was so much higher on that. Yeah, it's a wrap. So, all right, very good. You're, that was your number five, Dan. What do you got number for five. Uh, yours? My number five is an interesting one, and I don't know if tons of people would necessarily have this on our list, but um, it's a big turning point for me for a specific reason, and that's going to be the invention of the cotton gin. Um, by Eli Whitney. Uh, And this was in the 1800s. I'm trying to remember the exact year. It's escaping me right now. Um, But for those who don't know, 
the cotton gin was a technology, it was a machine that made the picking and sorting of cotton way easier um, as far as it would uh, speed up the process and it would remove the seeds from the um, cotton fiber. Um, 1794 is when it was originally invented. Um, but the cotton gin is so important because it increased the demand for cotton in the South and the demand for cotton production and increased the demand in turn for slavery, um, which became more and more rampant thanks to the invention of this technology. And unless you uh, have not studied U.S. history at all, um, you know that slavery was a direct reason for the Civil War, which then led to um, everything else within civil rights history, such as the Jim Crow laws and everything going from there. But the invention of this technology, while it was so helpful for the U.S. economy, it was so um, detrimental to a specific race and a specific group of people. And I think that aspect of this technology is what's so fascinating to me, is the fact that it was so beneficial for one culture and so destructive to another. Right. Um, it, it's And it wasn't even... Um, a technology that, you know, provided race specific things or, or, or anything like that. It was just an economic demand that led to a really, really horrible uptake in human trafficking and in slavery. Uh, so there's there's another um, historical civil rights event that um, I do think is more important that uh, I included higher on this list. But the invention of the cotton gin by Eli Whitney was a gift and a curse to the United States. And that's why it made it on my turning points as number five. I have yeah, the, the, the cruel irony of the, of the cotton gin by, I think Eli Whitney originally, he invented it as a way of reducing the demand for slavery. Yes. It, it, because cotton work is it's backbreaking. It, it messes up your hands. It's, it's awful. It's just soul breaking labor and the cotton gin just speeds up that process. But because it speeds up that process, you're having more and more cotton being produced. It's just this, you know, road to hell is paved with good intentions kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I definitely was not expecting that one there, Dan, but, uh, very interesting. Very interesting. It's an interesting choice. I am glad you chose it, though. Thank you. All right. My number five is uh, we're going back to World War One. Listen, the 20th century was crazy. There are so many what ifs. We could probably do a what if, like, a, or like even just turning points in, in history for the 20th century. We could do so many. Yeah. My favorite, I mean, my favorite period of time is the or like the first half of the 20th century like so much happened during that period of time uh quite a bit uh i actually almost forgot about this one i i almost i, I almost forgot about this one and it was when uh archduke franz ferdinand got shot and the the, mm -hmm. the powder keg that ignited we already talked about uh in great depth about the alliance system and um 
No, but if if he doesn't get killed, everybody piling on and joining their alliances and, and doing this, you know, warfare. I mean, like, it's kind of silly. <laughs> like, retrospect, like, I feel like World War II, there was a, there was like a reason to fight. This one was just an alliance system, right? I mean, there was no yeah, end yeah, game, like, I mean, essentially. For World War I, the the conditions were building to a point of conflict because it's empires trying or, you know, lack of a better term, empires trying to expand and this growing, like everybody has a growing sense of nationalism during this time. And it's just, you know, you're butting it into each other. Um, and it's, that's what kind of caused this to happen. So it was, even though it was basically a war for nothing, it was... It was an ego war. Yeah, it was an ego war. Yeah, which is, like, sad, because, I mean, when you put it's, things in perspective, at, at least, like, you know, again, World War II, it's it's legit stopping tyranny or, or, or in the, you know, in the dictator side of things. It's expanding their, uh, you know, expanding their beliefs and their culture on, on other places that's that was the perspective of it it was an ideological battle where, where world war one it was just hey my country's better than you and oh we're you know <laughs> we're, we're aligned with so and so so we got to help them out uh it's pretty surreal it's pretty surreal retrospectively uh when you think about it but uh it's crazy how one assassination led to all of that, um, all of that, and everything that stemmed from it too, right? The attempt of the League of Nations, and uh, it just it went nowhere. It it did nothing. It gets created twenty like twenty years later, back in the same, back in the same mm-hmm. uh, situation. Just yeah. So, uh, assassination of Franz Ferdinand comes into my number five. Excellent. Thank you. All right, Tice number four. My number four is the 95 Theses of Martin Luther. So in on October 31st, 1517, All Saints Day, uh, Martin Luther posts his 95 Theses to the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And this is important because regardless of your religious predilections, the split of Christianity into Catholicism and Protestantism uh, is extremely important because I said previously that while during this time feudalism in practice is basically extinct, the social hierarchies and the um, the social order of feudalism remains, um, and it's really buttressed by the institution of the Catholic Church, like they are the ones that kind of keep the order of the monarchs, you know, they hold that up because, but they also kind of, they're the nexus of everyday life for the average person during that time, like um, alms for the poor or like, sacraments of all parts of your life like your baptism at birth your 
confirmation, your um, confessions and like your uh, the sacraments at death, all that kind of stuff, your communions, like you're basically controlling access to the divine through this. Um, and during this time, you had the sale of indulgences, which is in Catholic doctrine, you have the idea of purgatory, where if you're like, if you're not clean enough to go into heaven, or if you're not dirty enough to go into hell, you go to purgatory to have yourself purged to go into heaven. And with the indulgences, the church would sell you this piece of paper that said, you get you or your loved one gets this much time off of time of purgatory. <laughs> um, and Martin Luther had a lot of problems with this and other kind of doctrinal or like theological things with the Catholic Church in terms of like good works being placed over faith, whatever. All this <clears throat> kind of leads to the questioning of the authority of the church which is a big nexus of social life. Um, ah, that was the crack. And, that was the first yeah. crack you were talking about. Okay. And like, it, it makes, it basically makes it like he was an, an unintentional revolutionary because during this time uh, you have the, by he prints the Bible in vernacular German, which before this time, uh, it was the Bible was only printed in Latin, so it was a thing where, oh, to have access to the Word of God, you have to you basically have to be a clergy member because that's the only way you're going to know how to read Latin. Um, and it kind Order. And also led to the Thirty Years' War, which was a religious war in the Holy Roman Empire that finally caused that to fall apart. So, excellent. I haven't heard of the name Martin Luther. Uh, obviously, I've heard you know Martin Luther King recently, but like just straight Martin Luther in a very very long time. I learned about that in middle school. And I mm -hmm. probably haven't thought about that since middle school. Uh, not that I don't care about it, but that it's just never, it's, it's, it's never crossed my mind, but um, man, that was kind of cool to hear again. So I'm glad you brought that one up. Uh, it makes sense. You know, I'm glad you, you, uh, you know, you brought up the, you know, kind of connected your, uh, uh, you know, that with the scientific revolution. I guess you could also say it, it kind of led to, ideas of the enlightenment too because mm -hmm. you're going from this um very controlled access to the divine to a more like individualized access to the divine you know it's it's promoting these ideas of the individual and things like that which you know is it's important to the enlightenment ideas that led to you know, that influenced the founding generation kind of thing. Right. Very good. Very good. 
I, oh, I'm loving this list, man. It's making me want to read up all, all my old history books. This is a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun so far. Dan, what do you got for number four? It's an obvious one, but I feel like it was an undeniable turning point in history. Um, my number four is going to be Germany's invasion of Poland. Uh, on September 1st of 1940 or 1939, one of those two years. Um, how can you deny that this World War II in general changed human history for um, for forever, forever? And two events, both at the beginning and end, uh, I do have on my list, and this is the beginning one. Um, but... Hitler's rise to power after um, the Treaty of Versailles and Germany getting blamed for a lot of World War One and having to um, pay the reparations and um, make amends to Europe uh, created a beautiful path for Hitler to just rise and um, use certain groups as scapegoats um, through um, out the war and the invasion of Poland was a major it was a, a a warning shot in a sense to the rest of the world saying hey we're moving we're going this is how it's going to be this is the first stop and the rest of europe is next and it didn't stop they moved from uh, poland all throughout all of europe that my the biggest uh the biggest almost thing for me being in there is like everybody could see it coming they could see it coming but they didn't know who was next and they didn't know how to stop it france running their mouths being like yeah they're not going to get in here and then just being overrun yeah, Vichy by, france. The, by the german or, or uh it, it was it was uh i can only imagine what it was like to be alive in that time and be hearing the news of Germany invading all these other countries and wondering what is the world going to come to next and what era are we about to be in? And yeah. it was the, it was the scariest era in our history for sure. Um, and so the impotence of it all, Germany invading Poland made my number of my list at number four, because how could it not? It's a, and yeah, I mean, it, I think it's a great choice. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, it was the it it set off a lot of stuff over the next five years the thing that always bothers me retrospectively is that it was the right the league of nations they kind of did like a, a, a an appeasement of sorts right they were like oh churchill. yeah you can do this what was it churchill churchill mm-hmm. appeasement. He was kind of yeah he was he was very like okay yeah you can do this and the same Stop. thing with stalin but then they invaded russia so right right <laughs> And and yeah, it's it like okay, you can have this. Just stop. Oh, okay, okay, you can go here, and uh, and and just stop. Okay, okay. And he invades that, and it just kept building, and it just got to be too much. And in Germany, just hey, they overpowered and and they overmatched. Like it's really scary. I'm gonna I'm gonna you know explain some other stuff as well. But you know when I have a couple uh, that refer to this time period, but it's really scary how close hitler got to owning europe honestly oh yeah uh i know spain was pretty neutral at this point in time but i would not have been surprised if well hitler moved into there prior to the rise of 
fascism in Germany, you had the rise of Franco, Franco's fascism in Spain. Uh, that's where you had the battle between the Republican forces and Franco's uh, fascist forces, which uh, unfortunately, the, if I'm not mistaken, the Republican forces fell to Franco's um, fascist forces. Um, interesting fact about Spanish, well, it's, it's called the Spanish Revolution, um, or no, Spanish Civil War, not Spanish Revolution, Spanish Civil War. Uh, George Orwell fought for the Republicans. In, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the Republicans were made up of not just like people looking for a democratically elected republic, but they're also like anarchist forces and like socialist forces. And that's where he kind of stepped in. Uh, but they were being undermined by Stalin, basically, because they weren't aligning to the Soviet ideas of socialism i see and that's kind of where that's where animal farm was birthed out of to go off on Ooh. that going off on that tangent but um the idea of expanding into poland and all these other places that's hitler's doctrine doctrine of uh lebensraum you know living room which is inspired by manifest destiny um <laughs> if you uh, I, he, it, it is <laughs> yeah he found inspirations in some uh he he found inspirations in uh in, in in strange places maybe not so much maybe not strange but uh probably not as negative as you know things that we didn't think negatively of he just he, he twisted them and yeah and uh yeah it's some scary stuff right there we'll be talking about i i got quite a, a couple hitler uh things coming up the Germany stuff. So very good there, Dan. My number four, I'm still in the World War One period. Again, moving along. Um, this is 1917. All right. And uh, we're looking at the February and October revolutions in Russia, which was basically Russia. In, in, in basically the uh, it was the communist takeover of uh, it, it, the of of Russia, you know, from Russia going from what it was to the, the USSR. Yep, Tsarist to to you know Lenin and Stalin and all that. Uh, pretty surreal. Like this is major news that I mean Russia, this this juggernaut of a country that's been a world power for for some time now, right? One of the 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 premier countries in in Europe. It's it, it it's it it's been around for a long time and it's just not doing very well. Uh, you know, throughout World War One, they're taking heavy casualties, uh, which I think they did in both world wars too. They took a lot of. Oh, yeah, they definitely did. Yeah, with World War Two, they I imagine they took more because the, the Soviet Union covered a lot more than just Russia. Correct. <laughs> so they they had conscripts and you know soldiers from all over the Soviet Union. Yeah, and they were they were on the lone front. I remember. Uh, reading again we'll talk about it soon but you know there was like a hey, america you know britain can can you help can you help us out like can you like put how like the germans were it was just literally just germany just pushing into russia operation again. barbarossa yep yep and uh but right here right here in this time period for mm -hmm. for them to fall um it, it, during this revolution and have the czar's family actually i think uh Right, Anastasia was the daughter. Daughter, that's like a legit mm -hmm. kind of thing, and she's she was rumored to survive somehow. Uh, the, I I heard a couple, read, listened to a couple little documentaries, and there was, uh, 
potential that she had survived somehow. It's pretty cool. But yeah, for, for that to take over and, and really set the course for the, the entire 20th century, whether it be, you know, again, the rise of, of communism, uh, this, this was to China, uh, North Korea, and, and, and Cuba, and plenty of other places, what the American Revolution was for France and, and South America. It was that it was the first it was the first one to happen. And obviously, we, you know, from this comes World War Two and in the Cold War and and so much more. So. Uh, so, yeah, the February and October Revolution in, of Russia it comes in at my number four. All right. Top yeah, three. Um, it's. OK, so my number three is the year 1945. OK. Um, oh, so much happened in this year. Um, it's in January 27th uh, is the liberation of Auschwitz by the Red Army. Uh, from April 16th to May 2nd is the Battle of Berlin. That's the final fall of the, you know, Nazi war machine, uh, again, by the hands of the Red Army. And in on August 6th and August 9th is when the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki happen. Uh, this Everything, 1945 is the beginning of contemporary history, I would say. Um, the world that we live in is built out of the ashes of World War II. Um, yep. The unleashing of nuclear weapons, that's a that's the Pandora's box we can never close. It's even, it's still like the sword of Damocles that's hanging over our head to this day. Um and you think there, it's like the 1945 is the unofficial start of the Cold War, too, um, because you have the USSR and um, the Western capitalist nations trying to vie for territory. That's where you get this, like, when the USSR takes Berlin, that's why there's a split of East and West Berlin. Um, and during this time, when they're vying for all this territory, they're also like, do you know about Operation Paperclip? I've heard of it. It's is this where they uh, they basically picked uh, they essentially picked off all the top German scientists and stuff. Is that they is brought this, them America yeah, all the Nazi scientists? They brought them in for like they brought in Nazi scientists. Um, the USSR is not, they're also guilty in this and that they did the same thing. Right. Um, for Wasn't their, the f- like, first head of NASA or something like that, or somebody who designed yeah, the I, rocket? Something along that. Yeah, because yeah. in Germany, they had the V2 rocket program for yes. the ballistics. Um, but for Japan, uh, the unleashing of the atomic bomb, you know, it killed around. 200,000 people and it basically left Japan in a place where it was kind of rebuilt by the United States for its own purposes. Yeah. It's again, this is another one of these people escaping justice kind of things. Um, The main 
political party in Japan, the Liberal Democratic Party, it's a right wing party. They, the kind of the founder, um, I think his name is Nobusuke Kishi. He was like one of the, he was the head, well, not the head, he like oversaw things in Nanking. Do you know about Nanking? No, I'm not familiar. So, prior to World War II, when Japan was in its like imperial period in the 30s, um, they had a, for lack of a better term, colony in, um, it's it's called like Manchuria. It's right above uh, North Korea. Okay. N uh, Nanking was a, like a prolonged genocide massacre of people. This is where you get the things like the, the comfort women and all that. And mm. it, like, you have this guy that oversaw it and he gets to basically, we need to stabilize this country. Um, we're putting you in a prominent seat. And it's just, it, I, I'm, I'm sorry to be a bummer again. It's just, it's, it's all. Hey, we're doing this to learn. It's, it's hopefully interesting. Our, hopefully, our listeners are learning too. So, and I'm like sure they... World War Two, you when you go from World War One to World War Two, the amount of casualties in World War Two is around like thirty-five to sixty million people, and most of them weren't even combatants. A lot of them were civilians, and it's when Germany was making its way into Russia is when a lot of this happened, when you had mass civilian casualties when Germany was making its way into Russia for Operation Barbarossa. And then on top of that, you have all of the deaths and casualties from the Holocaust. It's, it's just one of the most devastating times in our history. And it also made the rest of the 20th century and 21st century, everything that came from for me, history is 1945 onward right now. Right. It's just, that's just how I see it. Yeah. It definitely set the stage for it. Um, that's for sure. Cause the cold war dominated. I mean, everybody, it was on everybody's mind, not just the United States and yeah. Russia or USSR. It was everybody, you know, nuclear war and, and this and that. And I think a lot in, in some instances, you know, we strive to be better so we can, we can avoid stuff like that, like that happening. Yeah, so, it's so yeah, so very good, very good. Dan, your number three. My number three is an event that changed um, civil rights in the United States forever. Um, so I have to go back. This is unfortunately a very sad event that led to um, a lot of different reforms within our country. Um, so uh, this is a story about a young man um, from Chicago named Emmett Till, who went from Chicago to Mississippi um, to visit some family. This happened in 1955 um, when Brown versus Board had just been um, approved and segregation was starting to fade a little bit more, but tensions were still unbelievably high. Um, 
So I don't know if you guys are familiar with this story or not. So I'll try to keep it brief because mm-hmm. it is very it, it is very rough. Uh, but Emmett Till was visiting um, family in Chicago or, or um, in Mississippi from Chicago. And while he was down there, he went by a grocery store. Um, the accounts are still very scattered of what exactly happened. But the universal thing that people do say happened is that Emmett Till uh, saw a white woman named Car- uh, Carolyn Bryant, and he whistled at her and did the, the very uh, the wolf style whistle, the uh, high to low tone kind of one, right. you know. Um, her husband was um, away at the time that this happened, but when he came back, she told him about what had happened, and he became absolutely enraged. He went around uh, the uh, all the town trying to figure out who it was. Eventually, got the information that it was Emmett. Came into the house in the middle of the night, grabbed Emmett out of bed, threw, tied him up um, with a few other men that were in the town, threw him in the back of a truck, and he was never seen alive again after that. They took him. They pistol whipped him in the back of the truck. They took him to a barn and they beat him brutally. They beat him so bad to the point where he was unrecognizable. It was absolutely disgusting. And then they shot him and they threw him into the river. They couldn't find his body for days and days. And when they finally did, he was absolutely unrecognizable. Nobody could recognize him. So they brought him, they shipped him back to Chicago or transported him back to Chicago. And what the only thing that and i'm using dave chappelle's uh phrasing for this because he couldn't have said it better the thing that they couldn't have counted on was that emmett till's mom was an absolute gangster and when they were making the funeral arrangements she said i want you to keep the casket open for the funeral i want everybody to see exactly what they did to my baby i want them to see this and you can you can look up the pictures they're out there i won't send them to you guys because it's it's not a pleasant image at all but that image and her decision to use that image and to really let the public see what these men did to her son out of pure racism pure hate became a huge 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 staple in the civil rights movement it became a, a to Dr. King and to everybody else that was really fighting for racial equality at the time, Emmett Till became um, a martyr and he became a really, really, really important name when it came to civil rights and um, and the turns and the big, big steps that were taken within the next 10 years um, while everybody was pushing for equality. And it's one of those things where, as terrible as it is, I don't know what the, what the event would have been for civil rights really taking the action that it did had it not been for Emmett Till's death. And it's important that he's remembered and that moment is remembered in history because he gave so much in order for that to be a thing. So... My number three is the death of Emmett Till in Turning Points in History. I've always known the name. I've never known the story. 
So mm-hmm. I appreciate you, you know, bringing it up. I, it's, I, a, it's a it's a horrifying event. It's it, absolutely it is. horrifying. And I think more people should know about it. Beautiful, something beautiful came out of it. I feel yes. slightly ignorant for not, you know, not knowing about it. But I'm glad you I'm glad you brought it up because uh, you, you should you shouldn't though because it's one of we're we're talking about certain things. You know, we had mentioned Martin Luther, we had mentioned Emmett Till, and things like that. Our history textbooks didn't spend enough time really being no. able to individualize, and there's a lot that they have to throw in there. But these are the important names that we heard once or twice and then got lost in the shuffle of everything else. Right. So, yeah. and I, there's an idea that goes around that um, if you're if you're black, you you don't get to be a kid. You you have to be you're treated like you're an adult instantly. It's, right. Instantly, like you're you can't just be a kid that's whistling at some like innocently whistling at somebody it's it's automatically you're it's well it's also like a racist thing but it's, you know it's it's this idea that you're automatically treated like a hostile entity just because of who you are and it still happens to this day it's it's awful know, even it's though awful. we've made considerable strides there's still young young kids being you know killed for you know nothing for being what they who they are and what they have no control over being about so yeah yeah horrible but i think very fitting and belonging on this list so yeah great great choice dan great choice thank you sir thank you um all right, I got a couple major uh, ones coming. This is my last. No, it's not my last World War II one, but this is the Hitler invasion of Russia, Operation Barbarossa. Uh, you know, again, we've talked plenty about World War II. Uh, Hitler was doing just fine. The Germans, the Nazis, they were doing just fine. Uh, pretty much up until this point, right? He, I think France was pretty much in their possession. They had most of the mm-hmm. smaller countries of, of, of Europe. Uh, they weren't allied with, and they were the thing is they were allied with with Stalin. They were allied with with the USSR at this point. And I read about this. I, I read a, a book on Stalin and, and just pretty much his reaction to all this. He was legit, like emotionally destroyed. And it's it reminds me of this like this line and uh it was a grand it was like a thing a grand theft auto game about like it, it, it's goofy as it sounds it's like when you're you're fighting a, a like a like a like a bad a cop walk by and it goes oh the trash is taking out the trash well that's kind of what like hitler and stalin were uh, i guess in a sense but you know he, he was just mortally destroyed because he had been you know just betrayed by hitler who he thought he had alliance with um and it took many weeks for Stalin to kind of turn things around. All right, let's do this thing. And USSR kind of fights back the Nazis. But uh, this was Hitler's way of trying to, like, I'm going to do this because Napoleon couldn't, right? I'm going to do this because Napoleon couldn't. And he failed the, in the same spectacular way, A hundred over 100 years later, 120, 30 years later, and failed in the same spectacular way. And again, if if he would have just, 
take if, if it was that important, just take your time, right? He probably could have had England. Germany probably could have taken England. Um, I know England's known for their navy Dunkirk. and such, but yeah, it, they they could have taken England, and then okay, now we can hone all of our efforts to to Russia. But it all it, it ended up being the ultimate, like it, it just shoot yourself in the foot because that was okay. The Russians stopped them. There we have a chance, and uh, the USSR joining the war was like it was uh, massive. They were a little slow. Uh, they were a little slow to get started because they weren't like heavily industrialized. I don't think it took them a little I think while. I, well, yeah. Um, from 1917 to that point in time, they went through massive periods of industrialization. That's kind of how you get these, um, these atrocities that happen because right. they're shoving like 200 years of industrialization into like a 20 year time span. And they're just like, churning through stuff like so with operation barbarossa and the you know the retreat of the nazis from russia you know about the battle of stalingrad right yeah that was like the big stopping point and something that was interesting about the battle of stalingrad is that there was an order that nobody was allowed to retreat and like people like civilians and military were not allowed to retreat as the battle was going on, tanks were rolling off assembly lines. Um, it was intense building-to-building building combat. There was a apartment building that was that had, like it had people in it in the base. Like there were civilians that were in the basement, but Red Army troops like took over the apartment complex and basically made it like a fortification. It's called the house that Pavlov built. And apparently there were so many dead Nazis at the, like, there would be so many, like, dead Nazis at the first floor, they'd have to kick over bodies to get through the windows. And it's just, it's insane how, like, there's a reason why the USSR had the biggest casualty rate in World War II. Like, they were just pumping through people. Yeah, it was uh, it, it's an intense thing, and and, and yeah, them joining it, it helped because England was by themselves for for the longest time, right? I mean, yeah, after like, the I fall mean, of France, have... it was yeah, it was they were kind of on the receiving end of it, and then Hitler got overzealous and uh, kind of created his own worst enemy. Yeah, well, now you have two fronts closing in on you now because yeah. you have. I mean, it would all culminate with D Day. I mean, in 1944, you have the invasion of normandy and that would eventually lead to liberation of paris and then not too long after that you have the russians coming in from the east and that's how you have the fall of berlin in 1945 it's just yeah unless you had that two-pronged approach it'd be really hard but i don't think the nazi regime was that state was going to be that stable because um Fascism is a death cult. Um, Eventually, it, it, it requires eats itself. Yeah, it eats itself. Yeah. So there it is, number three, Operation Barbarossa. Um, that is what we got. So, all right, let's head on over to our number two, Tice. What you got? Uh, it's the Agricultural Revolution. This is where it's at on my list. Um, there's not much else I really can 
elaborate on, but my big thing is that, you know, we were hunter-gatherers for so much of our, we've been hunter-gatherers much longer than we've been farmers or, you know, manufacturers. Well, humans popped up around 200,000 years ago, and we only started these big agricultural um, settlements around 12,000 years ago. So, I mean, even before then, we've been making tools. We've been, you know, dogs started associating, or the dogs kind of split off from wolves and started associating with humans around 30,000 years ago. But it wasn't like, you know, this mass domestication of flora and fauna. And that's the biggest thing from, that's why it's, I think it's such an important turning point is because you're going from having kind of these naturalistic relations with the, you know, with the material world of the flora and the fauna by hunting and gathering. You're not really manipulating, you're making tools, but you're not really manipulating the very, like, the organisms themselves to produce what you need them what you need with agriculture you're artificially selecting for bigger yields or bigger fruits with less with more flesh and less seeds or you know livestock that reproduces faster or produces more wool kind of things like that the agricultural revolution is when we start to manipulate our environment in a way that no other animal has done before like there are animals that like engineer and make tools like beavers they're engineers they make dams they yeah. create whole new environments like flooding can create a whole new environment for multiple different species and like crows use tools and other primates use tools and things and they have these complex social orders or social relations like we do and like we did, but, and sometimes they have relationships with other organisms, but it's not to the point of we, they're actively manipulating other organisms. Like parasitism is basically, you're just feeding off of something. You're not actively like changing its morphology or like you're not intentionally changing its morphology or its genetic makeup through artificial selection it's just this kind of profound leap in our technology for lack of a better term um and with like i i've said before but when you have the surplus created by agriculture you have more time to dedicate towards other pursuits whether it be religion building cities um arts the arts dividing labor arts yep. and also leads to like you know more social stratification because you're having instead of everybody contributing to the survival of the group in a hunter-gatherer society people start producing things or taking things at a different rate you know and yeah it's it's, it's just a big time
No, it's it's a mass. It's it's really cool. I, I again, I gotta. I want. I definitely want to find some books on it. Uh, and and dig deeper into that whole transitionary like, period. Like something that kind of fascinated me was like these staple crops that we're all used to came out of this period. Like the in the Iroquois, you know, the Iroquois people, they have the the three sisters: corns, beans, and squash. Yeah the corn and the squash were domesticated. They came from Mexico, like the Mesoamerican society, like the big Mesoamerican empires. They're the ones, you know, it's all started there with domestication of squash and corn. And it came up through Central America into North America. And they're staple crops for all these different indigenous peoples. Like they're not just, not just for people in the Iroquois, like Confederacy, but, you know, all across the eastern seaboard like maize is all over corn maize is all over america like pre um pre-european contact there's these just these nations of people that have you know even though they say they're not they weren't agricultural they were still hunting and gathering but they still had they also had these they also had agriculture and they like the the longhouse society like societal system is based off of that yeah it's a tremendous one hey it made it on on two lists so i think it's uh it's it's pretty important so very good choice tice uh dan you're number two buddy uh my number two i'm gonna keep it kind of simple here but it's um the creation of the printing press uh the, the steve gutenberg technology um of course it um was going to be on here at some point for me uh i think the communication aspects of uh society are so important um that's one of the reasons that social media made it um on my list early on um, even fire for um, a, a certain extent has, you know, we have smoke signals and different communications that can be um, come through for that. But the printing press was just such a big, big invention for the world to have type press and be able to have the uh, the ability to create your own books and your own bindings of certain things. We wouldn't have some of the um, documents that we have or the amazing works that we have um, if it weren't for that in- invention. And it helped create the um, spread of ideas so much more efficiently, um, both through pa- newspaper, um, through books, through everything like that, that you could really use the printing press in order to accomplish. Uh, that it it helped our advancement so much in those years and it came in at the perfect time um, that we could have that distributed around the world so easily and be able to have those printed texts. Uh, So the invention of the printing press comes in at my number two. A great choice, a really good choice. I I was watching Pawn Pawn Stars last summer and uh, a page from the Gutenberg Bible uh, ended up at their pawn shop and it was worth just one page was worth so much. Uh, but you are right. The, uh, the printing press, nonetheless, uh, you know, helping, uh, yeah, spread information in books a lot quicker than, mm-hmm. than yeah. having to be handwritten and translated. And, uh, it, 
tremendous, tremendous uh, invention. So yeah, the, mm-hmm. it played a big like the ninety um, the Protestant Reformation it played a big part in um, because that's how um, Martin Luther's like ideas were spread and how his um, German Bible was you know manufactured is just the printing press, right? The Johannes Gutenberg print press. Yeah. So very good. Very good. All right. My number two uh, is my last one uh, for that World War II era is uh, is going to be the bombing of Pearl Harbor, right? The first major, uh, oh, first massive casualty attack on, on U.S. soil, so to speak. Uh, we all know what happened that day. I think it it, it was, a, I mean, obviously it's a pretty astounding number. Pearl Harbor blindsided by the Japanese uh, and and getting the United States finally involved, right? It was uh, FDR and the U.S. No, we don't want to get involved. We don't want to get involved. Not like an isolationist policy, but they really, for for probably since, again, the Monroe Doctrine, United States didn't really like getting involved in uh, in foreign wars. Uh, that all changed after at the end of this, of course. But Pearl Harbor, uh, whether you believe the conspiracy that they knew it was coming or not, uh, it 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 got them in. Uh, obviously, they declared war on Japan and uh, led to some you know just atrocities with the A bomb and uh, such, and obviously brought the U.S. into war with with Germany. So. Uh, which helped, I'm not going to say even up, you know, maybe even up the odds, but it, that was, once that occurred, uh, that was kind of the final nail in the coffin. I know it took a couple of years to get to that point um, before it was finally done, but the U.S. entering the war uh, was a, a big, big deal for the Allies, who, again, they were down France and a lot of other places, uh, and this, yeah, this is a, a, another turning point for for that so instead of uh again hitler just being like okay we got england we could do that and then let's go get russia and then let's do this they he's got an enemy on and three got three massive enemies and a couple other smaller ones too but um but paul harbor is my number two pretty crazy uh really good movie came out of it uh the one with ben Ben affleck I, i thought it was really nice i was fascinated by pearl harbor always wanted to go visit it i know uh uh, Hawaii is an expensive place to go visit, but uh, it is something that I would like to go see at some point just to feel it. You can hear about it. You can read about it. But unless you're there and can be surrounded by history, you can't really um, you can't. I don't think you can really understand it. So that is my number two. We are on to our number one for our top 10 turning points in world history. Tice, kick us off. What do you got? Uh, my number one is the Industrial Revolution. Very good. And they're generally, exp- you know, split into the first and second. I'm just like first Industrial Revolution, like the 1760 to around 1830. Um, this changed everything. Um, when you're going from these different modes of production you have all you you have a ton of different like just societal changes economic changes um i think the big one for the industrial revolution is that we changed changed the way we used energy prior to this it was all basically kind of a renewable or bio kind of 
energy like captured from the sun or through mil like water with mills or using the wind for your sails or like manure this it stores energy you know or you know contains like you know phosphates and nitrates and stuff for the soil but like in the industrial revolution we started using coal as a means of energy and it allowed us to store and manipulate energy to our whim i would say you know we weren't dependent on these natural processes anymore um and it allowed for this big expansion of like the mechanization of manufacture like mechanization of different aspects of life that led to this explosion of commodities and the way people relate to these commodities and like how people relate to their work um like you go from these crafts people you know these if you like small village pre-industrial revolution pre-industrial revolution in great britain where it started you know you have somebody that can make a cobbler that can make shoes or a, a like a haberdasher for hats whatever what have you you know they're dedicated to that one craft but with the industrial revolution it becomes less specialized and like you can just pump out with this mechanized process and people start to get alienated from you know if you're a craftsperson you're making like shoes or hats or you're a blacksmith whatever you're connected to your production process but with this you know expansion into like factories and stuff you start to be disconnected from this process and you know commodities start to be less produced for use value like if you're in a town you, you know i need shoes for my horse or whatever you know you go to the blacksmith he makes you shoes for your horse and you you know it goes from i have a commodity i'm using money as an unit of exchange to pay for that commodity and that's like money is just a unit of exchange but now in this new industrial world you have the ability to produce all these commodities like you can produce mass amount of commodities and it starts to become i have this money i'm going to use it to pay to make a bunch of other commodities so i can make more money right like it's you have this is like this kind of really industrial like capitalism capitalism yeah i was gonna say it was yeah. kind of a little shot in the arm for capitalism so yeah it's uh it's a fun one a lot of a lot of nice advantage i i like some of the things you referenced uh, like i'm not i'm not explaining that commodity money commodity system into money commodity money system but like i'm not explaining it perfectly <laughs> i'm not an expert but like it's you have this big upheaval in economic and social life and again it's another upheaval in your relation and humanity's relation to the natural world like we start to become less dependent our our local environment for our everyday needs because when you have an increased manufacturing capacity you know you can import stuff from wherever <laughs> And you can 
basically consume more than what your you know your local environment can provide and you can grow past that and reason why i put this this is number one is because even though it was necessary and that there's a lot of good things that were produced by the industrial revolution we're dealing with a lot of the externalities of the industrial revolution especially with our use of fossil energy for you know fueling this process and right you know growing past our local environments like there's this thing called world offshoot day and it's the day we where the earth where humans overshoot the amount of resources the earth produces for the year and it's like by the end of the year it's like oh we've consumed 1.5 times the amount of resources the earth can provide or something like that mm-hmm. so again this is a bummer list but yeah Hey, good one at that, dude. I I love it. You, I think you put together a solid list, and I I, dude, I learned a lot. So I appreciate it. Uh, Dan, you're number one. My number one um, is something like my number ten. Ironically, that I don't think we've felt the full impact of yet, but um, it's something that cannot be taken back. And I am talking about um, the creation of the atom bomb. Uh, it is, we, we touched on this earlier, um, 1945, we dropped two on Japan, um, both on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, there are certain things that we create in this world that we cannot take back. And this is one of those things that now that it is introduced, there is, it, it will not be removed from the world. We know that this power is out there. Everybody knows that the power is out there. It is something that is just sitting at at the back of everybody's mind, knowing that countries have these things potentially trained on each other for just in case things go south. Um, I think the most powerful thing I can provide as far as the atomic bomb goes is it, it, it's very famous but the j uh, robert oppenheimer quote from after they tested it in new Me- in new mexico where he says we knew the world would not be the same two people laughed two people cried most were silent uh, i remember the line from the hindu scripture the bhagavad gita vishnu was trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and impress him uh and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says now i am become death the destroyer of worlds I suppose we all thought that one way or another, that it's just, it's a very powerful and very famous quote, but I don't think you could sum it up better than that. They, they realized they created something that has the potential to destroy the entire world. And now that that knowledge is out there, it cannot be taken back. So if we're talking depressing, as far as certain lists go, that one might take the cake. This definitely may take the cake, but, in my opinion, it's something that I, I think it's the biggest technology the world has ever created. And yeah. it's also the most lethal one. It's the most potentially reality changing and lethal one that we can look at Japan. They're still not recovered. It's been almost 100 years. 
We dropped two on them. It's been almost a hundred years. They still have not fully recovered from that damage and from the rate, the radiation poisoning and everything else that is still in the air because of it. It's, it's terrifying. And it's terrifying to the point that look at how much of a pop culture shift it created too. once that was how many apocalypse movies, how many different things do we have? Like now we're living it right now. We're living it right now with Russia. You know? Exactly. We're living it right now. Exactly. So. so it was unavoidable in the creation of um the atom bomb or the Manhattan Project took number one on my turning points in the history list. Excellent choice, dude. Excellent choice. I, I think that's uh that's an important one. And it go it goes right in line with Tice's 1945 out set the course for the world we live in now. So. Sure did. All right. My last one, uh, my number one. I'm gonna Picks up my live through, which was uh, September 11th. All right. Uh, cliche, maybe. Maybe a little cliche, but uh, we all remember where we were that day. And I think our perception of the world all changed that day. I felt like I had to grow up a little bit watching that happen on TV. Um, and as far as like turning points in world, like I think stemming from that, uh, just, I think a lot of suspicion, a lot of mistrust of government, maybe it came from it. Maybe I'm getting too deep and weird from it, but you know, all these theories and then our reaction to it, right. Going to places that it, it, in the name of fighting terrorism that had nothing to do with the attack on September 11th. It's just, it's sort of this weird, just, is, I don't want to call it enlightenment because I don't feel like it is, but this very peculiar way of thinking where we don't trust the people where we've entrusted to lead us. Um, you know, I, I don't need to, you know, say what happened, right? We all know that September 11th was horrific. Never forget, you know, I never did. And, it was a just a weird time. And again, it feels like a forever ago, but it was like the last time that like, there was like some kind of national pride. We're proud to be Americans and, and this and that. And then slowly it's, it's divulged into, uh, Oh, we believe in this. So we're this, you believe in that. So you're that world hasn't felt the same since. So it really hasn't. Um, but yeah, there's a lot that stemmed from it, right? And just again, more mistrust, right? The Patriot Act, which was insane, it's still insane to think about uh, retrospectively, um, and just us still being in the Middle East, twenty something years later, still there uh, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we've been there, yeah, for a long time. So, um, but there it is, everybody. That is our top 10 turning points in world history. Tice, I want to thank you again for being on this show. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're great, dude. You're great. We're going to get you in studio next time, hopefully, weather permitting. Um, please, we'll have to please. make that happen soon. Yeah. Uh, Dan, you get choice next week, buddy. I don't know if you have anything in mind yet, but uh, we'll figure it out. Nothing in mind, but I um, I have a couple potential guests in mind for it. So I think okay. I'm going to try and uh, curate it based on who I end up getting for next week with us. Sounds good to me. All right, listeners, we thank you so much for listening in on this episode with us. 
On behalf of Tice, Dan, and I, till next time, do you even list?